To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations for from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. In the 150 year history of the keyboard, a lot of <clears throat> shifts have happened. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. Think about it. How many hours a day do you spend at a computer typing or staring at your smartphone screen, tapping out emails, text messages, or search queries? The common thread among those activities is, of course, the humble keyboard, the unsung hero of our tech lives. It's the thing almost every great modern book or screenplay or Instagram caption was first written on. And yet very few people are writing about it. Designer and writer Marcin Vihari sought to change that with his new book, Shift Happens. In it, he chronicles the at times contentious history of the keyboard, beginning with the very first typewriters. Many different countries in Europe um, claim that, you know, we, we had the first typewriter. And they're all kind of correct in a way because uh, they had typewriters, but, you know, some of them were never built. Some of them were uh, manufactured, but only in one copy. Some of them were manufactured in more copies, but just didn't really work very well. And they didn't really amount to anything. And so uh, the argument cannot really be settled. But uh, many people say it's it should be 150 years around right now, because in September 1873, you could buy a QWERTY typewriter for the first time. Um, you could actually, you know, pay uh, not and not insignificant amount of money for a device that didn't really work very well, but it worked. And you can trace the history of every, pretty much every keyboard since to this moment in time, right? Qu QWERTY basically conquered every keyboard that stood in its way. Um, and so, uh, and it, you know, people even argued it created bureaucracy in some way, you know, the QWERTY keyboard and the elevator <laughs> created bureaucracy. There's sort of like this longer lasting effect to this particular typewriter with this particular layout uh, getting on the market. Created bureaucracy. What do you mean by that? Um, well, so before typewriters um, existed, offices were pretty new and not working very well. And rec records were kind of kept haphazardly, if, if at all. And uh, typewriters allowed 
you know, typing to be much, much faster, allowed rewriting, allowed multiple copies in, in, you know, eventually to arrive. Typewriter keyboards led to punch cards and eventually internet and stuff like that. So in, you know, the sort of Western world in Europe and in America, you can see a very big change the moment you start seeing typewriters and um, elevators, you know, you start just the emergence of offices as an entity, the way that we understand them today, whether that makes you happy or not is a whole different story, but um, ended up being this very, very affordable and universal device to enter data and to process data. Well, let's talk about the evolution of the keyboard. How does the keyboard that we use on our computers every day compare to the very first ones uh, from the late 1800s? So what's sort of terrifying and beautiful and perplexing is that it's almost exactly the same in some ways and very, very different in other ways, right? So, so, so the funny thing I like to imagine is if you grab the guys who worked on the first typewriter and you set them in front of a computer today, they would know what to do with it, which is kind of amazing, right? They would know that there are letters you press and the letters compose words and paragraphs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in some way, you know, the QWERTY layout is almost exactly the same as it was 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Why are there two shift keys? I'm dying to know. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's funny you should mention this, right? Like My, my book is actually called Shift Happens because the, the arrival of shifts was sort of the first battleground uh, after typewriters uh, arrived. The first typewriters didn't have lowercase, right? The inventors were like, why would you need that? <laughs> and it turns out people were just like, no, no, we, we actually want that. What are you talking about? <laughs> so different um, typewriter manufacturers ended up approaching it in different ways. Some would have uh, one shift. And the, the reason it's called shift because it was actually shifting, you know, the type bars uh, up and down. Uh, and some typewriter manufacturers had three shifts. Some typewriter manufacturers had zero. They actually said, we're going to have lowercase keys above uppercase keys, and users are going to have a lot more keys. And they were fighting with each other. And it was really fun to watch. And it's really fun to see their advertising because they were all like, you know, there's this flowery language of a, of a, of a 19th century where they were talking about like, how can you trust a key that does nothing? <laughs> you know, how could you know if you get an uppercase and lowercase if you don't see it on a key, you know? And, and they were arguing like wasted key presses or, you know, the, the typewriters that had three shifts were like, well, our typewriter is small and, you know, you can figure it out. So they battled, right? And there were all sorts of solutions on the market. And what happened was there was a typewriter called Underwood that chose to take one shift and put it on both sides of the bottom row. But also the typewriter had a lot of other things that work really well. And it became maybe the first typewriter hit. And that helped popularize this idea of like, oh, maybe we just have a one shift that goes on both sides. And the more people used it, you know, the more people got used to it. But again, we don't really have like a proof that two shifts or zero shifts were actually worse in any scientific or mathematical way. As you've been researching this topic, is there a particular moment in the keyboard's history that really surprised you? The biggest sort of discovery for me um, was the history of backspace, which, you know, it's, it's not a key that we think much about today, probably, right? But uh, it's, it's hard to remember that for most of the time typewriters existed, backspace wasn't as easy. Right? Like you, you can't simply erase something that you typed on paper. Right? That's not how the world works. That's not how atoms work. And so there was this cottage industry of 
of inventors um, that try to help actually achieve what today we take for granted, which is a complete erasure of, you know, of a letter from paper, <laughs> right? And there were special kind of rubbers, like, you know, like, like, pens like versions of a pencil rubber. There were liquids, there were tapes, there were kind of chemical solutions. There were all sorts of things. Even the inventor of laser or one of the co-inventors of laser proposed to build in lasers into typewriter for the sole purpose of just zapping things from the page. Um, he had a prototype. It worked not really well, but it worked. You could erase the ink because it was black and it absorbed the energy more. And the paper would, would be mostly, you know, untouched. And eventually, you know, what happened was with computers, you basically get backspace for free. It's, it's almost the opposite, right? With computers, if you're not careful, you lose all of what you wrote instantly. So, so backspace is almost just like a side effect of, of that. Yeah. Well, you spent a lot of time researching the history of the keyboard. Has it shaped how you think about the future of this technology? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, right? I, I, I struggle with this, right? Like many people predicted the end of keyboards many, many times. Um, people were hoping that voice would replace keyboards. And it did to some extent, right? Like the, the imagine you could be typing to Siri, but you typically talk to Siri or Alexa or whatever. Um, people sometimes dictate, you know, even books by voice, but you know, your voice is also your, you know, the muscles um, can get tired as well. And they're actually less equipped to handle a strain than, than your, your, your fingers. So I think, I do think that you know, keyboards will be with us for a while. I, they they happened to be this kind of actually pretty wonderful link between your brain and the outside world that can operate for hours on end and without mistakes and don't even occupy that much of your brain. You can you can think and type, right? You can talk and type. You can do other things and type, uh, and and you can do it very very quickly and efficiently. And it actually doesn't take that much time to learn to type fast enough. And so I think keyboards will be with us for a while. You know, I think from what I understand and talking to people, the only really big threat, quote unquote, for keyboards is any sort of neural connection, right? Anything that goes directly to your brain. But whether we're close to that or not, I'm not sure. That was Marcin Vihare, author of the book Shift Happens. Back in February, Marching launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund Shift Happens with a goal of raising $150,000. The campaign surpassed that amount in minutes. Within a month, he'd raised more than $700,000 to produce the book. Now, a few thousand copies of the completed book, though really it's more like a set of books, are on their way to folks who backed the Kickstarter campaign just in time for the 150th anniversary of the keyboard. We've got photos from Marcin's book, Shift Happens, and a link to his Kickstarter page, all at our website, marketplacetech.org. Rosie Hughes produced this episode. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. 
This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.